Hello and welcome to Extrapolator. This is Jeff Allen, and today I'm speaking with Tim Halderson. I'm going to keep the intros to my guests a bit shorter going forwards, getting to the interview itself more quickly, so I'll briefly introduce today's conversation. Tim is a different kind of guest than I've had so far. I like to give you a bit of variety. I met Tim in Cambodia a couple of years ago at a bus shelter, effectively. He's Swedish, I'm Irish, so it was really a chance meeting that we were both in Cambodia at this random bus garage. And we start by reminiscing about that story. Tim takes a very down-to-earth approach to philosophy. He's not an academic philosopher, he's an entrepreneur, and he looks for philosophy that's relevant to daily life, relevant to kind of the people, the events, the situations that we encounter, struggles, setbacks, successes. Tim focuses mainly on Stoicism and the Stoic philosophers. I'm trying a different approach in this episode. Some of my past interviews have been quite technical. You know, I'm interested in very deep and beautiful metaphysical puzzles, especially when my guest is a professor of philosophy. I find it very tempting to jump into very high-level questions and topics because I'm very hungry to pick their brains about these topics. You know, they're these professors are doing the highest level work in academic philosophy. People like Janan Ismail, Pete Mandick, Sean Carroll. But I don't like to leave listeners behind. Those of you who haven't studied philosophy, who haven't heard of these topics before, I try to guide you through these conversations, but I know it can be quite tough if the topics are new to you. So, here is quite a different episode today. It's not academic philosophy. It's not so long form. Instead, it's philosophy for daily life, for entrepreneurship, business, personal challenges. And we're discussing bite-sized quotes. We're not discussing full books or articles. Even talking about philosophy on Instagram. A lot of what we discuss is very practical. It's about meditation, reflections, stress management techniques that you can apply to your daily life. So we talk about some practical advice for living, and we also talk more broadly about how we can make philosophy more practical and more relevant for daily life in general. We end with some of these reflections about the ways that philosophy can touch on people's lives. I talk about philosophical skills and tools, you know, ways of analysing or reflecting, and I talk about philosophical solutions to problems that we encounter in life. I'm curious if you'll agree with what I have to say about the usefulness of philosophical tools and solutions. I hope this episode is a refreshing change. It's an experiment for me as much as for you. So do send me some feedback and let me know what you thought. You can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at ExtrapolatorPod. And now, please enjoy some philosophy for daily life. So I am very excited to be here today with Tim Halderson. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So I thought we could start with the story of how we met. It's a fun story and it's a bit different. Maybe I'll start with my perspective and then you can fill in things, how things unfolded from your side. Sure. So it was a, it was a few years ago. I was traveling around Southeast Asia with a group of friends and I was in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. And okay, this is kind of a longer story until Tim appears, but bear with me. So we were kind of, we were walking around Phnom Penh one evening and I remember it being a very nice evening, like we had 
a really nice dinner. We found kind of a little market and we were walking through one of the main squares and my friend suddenly shouted, my bag. And we all turned around and the, the moped was already almost out of sight at that point. It was crazy. So a moped had driven past, ripped off her bag. And as it transpired, the bag had her passport, her phone, a lot of money. So, you know, she agreed afterwards that it was a bit negligent, perhaps, to be walking around with everything in the bag. It would definitely put a dampener on the evening. And the problem at this point now is that we were stuck in Cambodia and she had no passport. And the nearest Irish embassy was in Vietnam, which was no use to us because we couldn't get out of Cambodia. But luckily, she actually happened to be a dual citizen of Ireland and Canada. So it was only a matter of her dad FedExing over the Canadian passport, which took a couple of days. So we were kind of stuck for an extra few days. But then the Canadian passport arrived and it had no entry stamp. So if we turned up to the border of Thailand, which is where we were trying to go next, with a perfectly pristine passport from Canada, there was no record of her entering the country. So she could have been here, you know, for 30 years illegally. So we needed to get an entry stamp on this passport. And that took another couple of days. We we found this really nice local guy at the hotel who had a car and he drove us to the kind of official customs place, the passport control. And we get to bribe them, I think, like 60 US dollars to get an entry stamp for the passport. And then we were straight to the bus stop at that point. We were our friends had already gone ahead to Thailand because there was no point in all of us waiting behind. So we bought a one way direct ticket to Bangkok, which is well what we thought we'd bought. So we got on the bus at about 8 p.m. and we slept and we, you know, we thought we were going direct to Bangkok. But we were woken up the next morning at like 5 a.m. or something and it was pitch black outside and they emptied everyone off the bus. And we ended up sitting in this empty garage on the side of the street. And it was kind of bleak. There was it was like an empty garage and there were these kind of roosters under cages who were making so much noise. And we had no idea why we were there because we thought we just bought a ticket to Bangkok and yet they'd kicked us off the bus after eight hours. So it was all a bit strange. And that is where I met Tim in this uh, empty garage on the side of the road in Cambodia. And I think you were also trying to get across the border to Bangkok, right? Yeah, it was a, a very long journey for many hours with like the buses. And it's kind of like a big mess because quite a few of the buses, they don't really speak very good English. And then it's a lot of people. It's a lot of different a lot of different parts because then it's the travel booking agencies then it's the booking and then it's so it was a big mess and and it's always nice because i was traveling there by myself and then we started talking a little bit about different uh, different things we had seen and explored and because i had been working in vietnam for a few months before that uh, within marketing for like a bitcoin coffee shop and then I was traveling back to Bangkok to go to a, like a, an event. And then I yeah, stumbled onto you and your friend and yeah, talked for a bit then. Yeah, I remember sitting in that empty garage talking about cryptocurrency like really early in the morning. And I was quite new to the whole thing. So I think you were educating me about the ways of crypto and the feeling of being an expat working in Vietnam. I found it all very interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting like... Um, completely another story of like going living in those countries because so much so many things are not as it is in like ireland or in sweden it's uh, it's a lot of lots of interesting stories that can that can come out of there and and then yeah the next part of the story is we so we thought we were getting one bus i think in the end it was a bus and then a taxi and then a bus and then a taxi so they kept kicking us off and putting us on new things 
and I had no idea how everyone was communicating between the stages, so I kept thinking that we were just being left for dead every time we were moved off a certain mode of transport. But one of the strangest parts was crossing the border to Thailand at about, it must have been 8am. We finally got through passport control and we were still a bit stressed about my friend's passport because the border police didn't seem to really recognise the stamp and they were all kind of conferring. But eventually they let us through and it was great. At this point, Tim, you'd stuck with us. So the three of us were kind of dealing with the whole ordeal together. And we got across the border and we were walking through this kind of no man's land. And at this point I was like, we should have just gone to the airport there's no none of this no man's land in the airport but there was a strip of land between Cambodia and Thailand where after you go through the passport control of land transport you have to just walk across so it was really strange uh, it felt like very otherworldly and it was 8am exactly because the Thai national anthem started playing and everyone just froze in place we'd just been walking and then suddenly everyone froze and stood to attention and I think I was quite stressed and so is my friend and I think you being Swedish you're like a bit more loose about rule following and customs and you're kind of going oh this is pretty cool you're kind of looking around (laughs) and kind of like maybe tapping someone on the arm going wow look at this I was like Tim stop moving just just because everyone was just being so like standing in place like statues Uh, so that was a very strange experience but it is routine every morning at 8am in Thailand they play the anthem and then eventually after that we were across the border and we were home free into Thailand (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a, it's an interesting um, an interesting world. You can learn a lot from f- from that part of the world that is not like common knowledge in the European countries because they are in some ways more yeah more traditional and have a lot of interesting philosophies and things that they they view in life that is like completely strange to a person from let's say from uh, the Nordic countries or from Ireland or UK or around there it's a it's a fascinating thing and you can learn a lot from uh, traveling in asia especially meeting some some local people and some uh, some vietnamese some cambodian people some thai people and understanding how how they work and what they what they do Mm -hmm. and how long did you spend in total like living and working in southeast asia so it was uh, initially it was three months in korea uh, in uh, three months in Korea, then four months in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh City, and then a little bit in Cambodia. But I was mostly traveling with my laptop. So it was all a combination of working, researching and reading a lot. Uh, I always have my Kindle with me mm-hmm. so I can read the books on my, on my Kindle. And let's move on to your background because, so this is a philosophy podcast, of course, but you've got a kind of a different background to some of my usual guests because you're not an academic philosopher, you're an entrepreneur, you have your own business, and you're more interested in how to kind of apply philosophy to daily life and the world of business. And you run an Instagram page, which is at Finest Stoic. So you're bringing these daily nuggets of Stoic wisdom to the masses. And we will discuss some of those quotes in a while, and we'll discuss the merits of bringing philosophy to daily life. But, you know, tell me more about how you came to philosophy and, you know, your inspiration for starting this Instagram page. For the last few years, uh, I think I started around five, seven, eight years ago, I started reading uh, different books, uh, mostly in like entrepreneurial self-help books. And some of them were like Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, 
Jim Rohn, all of the, the classic, Napoleon Hill, all of the classical books that are for like entrepreneurs. And then it was like reading books is one thing, but then like practicing what you learn from a book is another thing. And then there's another thing of getting the discipline, the daily discipline of, of like building as philosophy of, of life. So it in the beginning, it came from reading and then... You can always hear like in the books how they quote Marcus Aurelius and the old Stoic philosopher, the Greek philosophers. And from from different sides, you get like input and they turned it into like a modern version of it. And then it was around two years ago. Uh, initially, I started it as a way of like bridging the gap between philosophy and business because in business it's um, it's a lot of things that will go up and down and there is a lot of challenges there's a lots of uh, different struggles that in order to survive as a business you need to overcome so initially it was more of a way of working with self-discipline then initially got uh, quite a lot of engagement i got some people that started to message me and say like thank you for the quotes Usually I put in in the description something that was on my mind. Yeah, and I did it daily. So initially it was more of a thing to uh, yeah to help myself and also at the same time uh, reaching out and, and, and working with uh, philosophy. So I started it about uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, this account. Yeah, I'm interested in this project of you know, bringing philosophy to a wider audience. Of course, this is a, a pop philosophy podcast, so I like the idea of reaching people with philosophical ideas. And I think you have to be creative these days, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or anything. But I, yeah, I'm curious about all these different strategies that we can use to bring philosophy to daily life and also how it can be applied in daily life and, and in business. So let's talk more about that in a little while. But let's, let's zoom back a bit to talk about stoicism. Stoic philosophers are the focus of your page, so you focus a lot on the on the quotes from Stoics. And I thought we should introduce the audience a bit to Stoicism. They might have heard the name Stoicism a lot. People talk about being Stoic in the face of adversity and things like that. Stoicism itself is a philosophical school from ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So the Greek Stoics included people like Zeno, who founded the school, and then later Cleanthes and Chrysippus. And then the Roman Stoics included Seneca, Epictetus, and Marcus Aurelius, who is perhaps one of the most famous Stoics that we hear about. Uh, and there are still modern commentators on Stoic philosophy. So you mentioned already Tim Ferriss, and there are people like Ryan Holiday, and William Irvine is someone that I've come across a lot recently in the context of mindfulness meditation. He's really someone who tries to apply Stoic ideas in modern meditation practices. So I think all of this speaks to the fact that people still find value in Stoic ideas more than 2,000 years after the original Greek Stoics. So yeah, how do you feel about this effort to bring people in the 21st century in touch with these quite ancient Stoic ideas? I read some, it was some study about that usually philosophy uh, thrives and comes back during tough times and it like re-emerges uh, and of course, the last year and a half, the last two years has been challenging for a lot of people. So you can see that a lot of a lot of people have looked in different directions and different ways of 
finding ideas to yeah to overcome daily challenges about the about the old greeks they they had studied things for a long time and of course we don't hear about all of the bad ideas that the greeks had we only hear about the good ideas because the good ideas are the ones that usually persists over time and you can see that over the, the stoic philosophies and the stoic ideas especially from marcus aurelius uh, this has been like yeah coming back and forth over especially now they are re-emerging again if you look on let's say for example google search trends for stoic and uh, stoic philosophy those has also been increasing over the last uh, over the last year um, so I think that good ideas usually have, tend to come back when they are needed and the, the stoic ideas and the, the Greeks they they knew quite quite a lot about overcoming struggles understanding what is within your control and what is outside of your control and having different uh, tools and ways of kind of focusing of, of what really matters in life because it's quite easy to let small things that are not really that important to, to, to make them big and to let them hold you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the main, the core Stoic ideas there. And let's chat about Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I think this is one of the most famous texts from the ancient Stoics. And you mentioned to me before as well that I think it's it's the favourite book of Bill Clinton. He reads it every year, apparently. So Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is a pretty useful guide to some of the core ideas that the ancient Stoics held. So he, he was seen as a philosopher king, Marcus Aurelius, because he, he was not only an emperor, but he was also a philosopher drawing on these ideas from, well, for him, there were ideas from ancient Greece. He was living in ancient Rome a little later, so he was drawing on these slightly older ideas. And some of the core ideas of Stoicism that he professes in the book are firstly the idea of logos. So that's the idea that there is an order to the universe and that everything falls into this natural order. And for him, you know, this includes emperors and slaves and social stratification and fate and the grand plan of the universe. So the Stoics believe that we should accept this grand plan and that everything is kind of meant to be. We can kind of critique some of these ideas in a short while, but I just want to give a brief overview to how the Stoics viewed the universe and and ethics. And then another core concept was pain. So they wanted to eliminate self-inflicted pain. They viewed pain coming from an external source as being beyond your control because it comes from outside. And all you have to do in those cases is accept it and move on. Whereas pain coming from internal sources, that is within your control. And that's what you have to work to eliminate. And this is, I think, especially challenging. The idea that we have to just relinquish the pain that is brought on us from the outside and then work to remove any painful patterns of thought that arise on the inside. Yeah, I think what comes back there is the idea from especially one of the Stoic philosophers, Seneca, that says that we suffer more often in imagination than we suffer in reality. So it's usually the biggest suffering for for a lot of people comes not from actual things happening, but in the anticipation of bad things happening. And this is like worry about the future, because uh, yeah, worry is one of the like a leading thing that causes suffering. So 
understanding the concept of there are some things in the future that we can control, but then there's quite a lot of things that we can't control can actually give you a, a sort of like freedom in accepting what will come and then doing everything you can to prepare for it. So I think that that comes back a little bit to the suffering. Yeah, and that it's talked about a lot in modern mindfulness practice. I've been meditating recently using Sam Harris's app, Waking Up, in the last kind of, well, one year or a little more. And it's talked about so much in mindfulness practice that we have to not get swept away by memories of the past, imaginings of the future, you know, whether they're good or bad, that, we, that we're kind of, we're so often anxious about things that we can't affect in the past and in the future as Seneca is saying, that we suffer in our imagination because we're, we're kind of, we're constantly swept up by these thoughts of things that are not here and now and not concrete. And it was the Stoics 2000 years ago who were saying that we should just let those imaginings go because it's just a source of pain at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's for sure. And, and that goes back to daily life. Uh, in order to, to live productive lives, we kind of need to have tools and ways of overcoming the fear and worry of the future to, to live productively. And that's kind of where I see the philosophy as a very, like a, a good tool to, to have like a framework for overcoming unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. And the Stoics also professed the idea of logic over emotion. And this is where I would start to critique some of their positions, because I, I don't think that in, well, in modern neuroscience and in modern psychology, there's less of a clear distinction between logic and emotion because reason is often seen as just another facet of our affective emotional life. But for the Stoics anyway, they argue that we have to be calm, we have to detach ourselves from emotion, desire, feeling, mostly the negative emotions and feelings. And for them, this included accepting the kind of grand plan of the universe, accepting logos, which is the idea of order and natural order and fate. So it was kind of detaching from any negative emotions about things that are happening and then having this kind of cool rationality that accepts the way the things are as the way the things are meant to be. This is where it aligns less with my own contemporary philosophy because I'm a nihilist, so I don't believe in this kind of externally prescribed path or externally prescribed meaning. And I think here we have to distinguish as well with how we're analysing Stoic philosophy. So a useful takeaway, I think, from my work recently in the history and philosophy of science is distinguishing between the historical lens and the philosophical lens. So when we're talking about certain philosophers through the historical lens, we just try to interpret, we try to contextualise them, and we, we don't evaluate the salience of their positions. This is a mistake I made quite early on in my history work. I asked a question about whether Newton was rational to have believed in God in light of what he knew about physics. And my professor said, you can't ask if Newton was rational. That's, it's terribly ahistorical, it's anachronistic, it's presentist, because you're, you're retroactively placing all of the modern assumptions on him, which you can't possibly have known. That's the historical lens. But there's also the philosophical lens, which is the one that I most often apply. And with the philosophical lens, it's all fair game. So we are engaging in a kind of a a historical critique of the ideas. So when we talk about any philosopher from Descartes to Kant, you can always engage with the content of what they're saying and you can analyse them irrespective of the historical context. So I think this is the point where, so that meta-philosophy aside finished, that's the point where I would dig into the Stoic idea of Logos. 
Of course, it comes from a certain historical context, but I think modernizing it as a nihilist, I would have to say that it's different than just accepting the grand plan or fate of the universe, because that's not necessarily a scientific and naturalistic way of seeing the world. So if we talk about accepting the way things are, it's more about not being perturbed by negative events, seeing silver linings, seeing the positive impacts of certain life events that are outside our control. So there's still a recognition that some things are beyond our control, but we don't need to go as far as the Stoics went in in terms of logos and a grand plan of the universe and fate and all that. Yeah, I think it's um, it's, it's an interesting um, an interesting part of it. My way of viewing it is not so much in 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 that part that it's all like preset. Uh, I view it more as an as a tool to help you focus on what is more important to you. So I I don't accept the like the the, the grand plan argument kind of. I more see it as you can use philosophy as a as a tool to to kind of build create your own path. And let's discuss a couple more quotes because I think that will give people a good illustration of the kind of wisdom that Stokes were trying to impart. One of the quotes that I really love the most and stuck with me for a long time since I read it comes from Marcus Aurelius and it's Think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. So think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. And when I first read this, you know, I had this incredible moment of it just shifts your entire focus from forward looking to backward looking. This is something that William Irvine calls prospective retrospection. So prospective retrospection, kind of this forward looking, backwards looking. And it's all about feeling nostalgia for the present moment. And he says that when you're sitting with your friend and saying, oh, remember the time when dot, 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 and you kind of have this rose-tinted view of the past, if you can achieve that about your present moment, like your present events and life, then it's an amazing thing. It changes your perspective completely. So you kind of erase the anxieties and you can zoom out with this bigger lens of kind of the shape of your whole life. You're discounting any kind of daily hiccups and mishaps and you're looking at the big, important life milestones. That's an amazing kind of way of shifting your perspective of trying to look at your life in hindsight as opposed to foresight, even though it's still happening. Yeah, it's um, and, and I think that that also goes to the ambitious part of uh, Stoicism, because live it properly. So what is a proper life? Of course, that's up to, up to yourself to determine. Yeah, back to the quote. As soon as you view it from that perspective, it kind of like uh, makes it easier to yeah, to do things and to, to work forward towards something. Yeah, it's amazing that you can try to shift your perspective instead of prospectively forward-looking, chasing. The Stoics talk about the kind of negative cycle of chasing desires and chasing goals. So instead of prospectively chasing goals, you shift your perspective and retrospectively look back view your life as a whole, and then yeah, the, the things that are meaningful kind of come into focus more clearly. And there's some interesting links to pop culture, I think, from this quote. It reminded me of, well, first of all, the film About Time. Spoilers coming for the film About Time, if you haven't seen it already, with Donald Gleeson, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nighy. So in that movie, the main character can travel through time. And at the end of the film, he decides that 
he's going to live every day exactly twice. So the first time he lives through his day, he's it's a normal day, he's anxious and rushed and stressed, trying to get his coffee and drop his child off at school. And the second time he lives the day exactly the same. But instead of being stressed, he just joyfully lets every moment wash over him and he just kind of proceeds happily through the day. And that to me seems incredibly stoic. Of course, he's a time traveller, so he's got this extra benefit that we don't have. I think at the end of the movie, you get kind of goosebumps because you realise that we can be less concerned with the meaningless hiccups and mishaps day to day and we can be concerned with the things that do matter, whatever those things are. And I think that's also a stoic thing that you have to realise what those things are and then find a strategy to achieve those things. But it's about getting the perspective that you need to realise what it is that you should pursue over the course of your whole life, viewing your whole life as, as a whole entity. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's um, when you take it from a, like a bigger picture and you under you focus on what is within your control, then you can actually lessen the suffering by, yeah, by saying to, for example, to yourself, I will do everything I can. I will prepare as much as I can, but then whatever happens will happen. And what if, if it goes in the wrong way, what can I learn from it? Because this is, then you take complete control of the things that are within your control and then you let go of the things that are external. Yeah, and there's a great quote I think that ties in to that idea from Epictetus. We should always be asking ourselves, is this something that is or is not in my control? So something that is or is not in my control. And I'm always struck by how relevant these things are for life in the 21st century, that this is a modern, a very contemporary technique for managing stress, that people, you know, they keep stress journals or they just have a a nightly reflection on stressors. You can just catalogue the things that have happened, the things that are worrying you that are in your control, that aren't in your control. And you let go of the things that aren't in your control. And then the things that are in your control, maybe you feel like you can make positive steps towards them. So you can document the steps that you could take to solve a certain worry. And then that's also off your plate then. So I was struck really by how even 2000 years ago, these are techniques that are still used in in modern yeah, psychology and, and stress management. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's back to that. Like as soon as you do something that is worthwhile, you will always face trouble, issues. Uh, there will always come challenges uh, when you do things that are important and things that matters. And yeah, sometimes um, I've had some presentations for yeah, for clients and different things. And then I was worried about the whole call going super like in, in, in the wrong, wrong direction. But sometimes the, the, the client might, might even see it the other way around. So the problem, the potential problem actually turned into a larger contract with a client because it can be that, okay, so the thing that I initially saw as a problem then turned into a larger contract with a client because we had to take in that as well. So having a philosophy like that supports these yeah productivity areas, I think it's a, it's a key to to yeah to running a business and yeah, it's a good business tactic if you can identify problems, point them out to the client, and then charge the client to solve them. I think that's a great strategy. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of the the basis of uh, of business solving problems, and mm-hmm. you can solve 
more problems if you have a good life philosophy that helps you and guides you with overcoming challenges and and stress. Mm -hmm. Maybe just one more quote here to round off this segment. This is one from Marcus Aurelius again. The happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. So the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And for me, this really just speaks to the practice or the habit of cultivating an organized mind. And this is all part of this boom in mindfulness and meditation, which maybe came out of the tech bros in Silicon Valley, but it's spreading, I think, through a lot of my age group now. A lot of my friends meditate and it's not seen as something kooky and Eastern. It's just seen as like a habit that people have now. As I was saying, I've been meditating with Sam Harris's app and he's got a great pitch really for meditation that our mind is always with us and yet we don't train it usually. You know, we just allow ourselves to be buffeted this way and that by any random thoughts coming over the horizon and we just take our mind as it comes without any training or exercise. And in contrast, meditation is an exercise in noticing patterns of thought and then in not allowing yourself to be swept away by any kind of passing thoughts and emotions, being able to unhook yourself from, you know, anger or resentment or anxiety. So I think Marcus Aurelius here is, is speaking to the same kind of practice or exercise of cultivating an organized mind. Yeah, and, and he also talks about uh, keeping, keeping in, uh, surrounding yourself with people that uplift your spirits. Uh, which is also a quote from Marcus Aurelius, because he he talks a lot about the areas where it's like the feedback loop. So if you get like positive thoughts, that uh, then they will kind of grow. And same goes with negative uh, thoughts as well. So you need to guard your guard your mind from from the negativity and work on. Yeah, cultivating the, the positive thoughts and reinforce them, which can be a very good way of meditation because then it's a little bit like sowing seeds of good uh, thoughts when, when you meditate because then you can kind of like put in like a positive or like a uplifting philosophy into like to drill it in a little bit to your to mind. Mm hmm. And I want to add one kind of disclaimer here because this is not a self-help podcast and I'm kind of wary of this becoming like a an orgy of recommendations on wellness. So I think it's an interesting clarification that Sam Harris makes quite often on his meditation app. And all of these, all these meditation apps have their own angle and often they kind of pursue calm or becoming a better person or there's one called Syncuition which claims to improve your intuition through binaural beats, which sounds incredibly pseudoscience-y to me. But Sam Harris says that he's, he's got a different angle. His app is all about introspection. It's all about kind of reflecting on the nature of your own consciousness. And in his guided meditations, he asks you to notice that everything is happening in the space of consciousness. And sometimes you open your eyes during a meditation and notice that everything that you see is just an appearance in consciousness. Rather than looking at the objects themselves, you notice, you know, the colors and the patterns of light in the visual field. You try to take a kind of a, a bigger view of how everything is just appearing in consciousness. And so when Marcus Aurelius talks about improving the quality of your thoughts, 
I don't think it needs to be self-helpy. So if someone's recoiling to this kind of self-help notion, I, I have the same kind of recoil sometimes. We don't need to be seeking a kind of a wellness outcome. It can also be about studying and understanding your own conscious awareness, which, which is the lens through which you experience everything. Everything that we experience happens in this space of consciousness. So I think it's something that's valuable to study in and of itself. And now let's zoom out and have a kind of a more broad discussion about applying philosophy in daily life, because this is what you've been trying to do with this page and how lots of other writers like Tim Ferriss and William Irvine are trying to bring Stoic philosophy to, to people's daily lives. And let's talk about a couple of applications. So I think the first, the first we've already talked about a bit is meditation and mindfulness. I think one great application of Stoicism is that it can be used to guide reflections on things that have happened in your life. It's actually not just being mindful. So we're not just being mindful of anger. It's actually the practice of reframing a certain emotion. With mindfulness meditation, often it's about noticing thoughts and then letting them go rather than engaging with them. With stoic meditations, it can involve noticing an emotion like anger and then actually reframing the emotion. So you're kind of, you're flipping it so you don't even feel anger anymore. You're trying to feel happy about a situation. So it's a kind of, it's a different way of dissolving the emotional barrier or emotional problem. I've been listening to a, a good few of William Irvine's stoic meditations recently, and they're excellent. And I think they're very illustrative of the kind of techniques that stoicism offers. And I'll give you a couple of examples of, of the ones he guides. So one of them is negative visualization. And in this one, you picture yourself without a cherished relationship or position or skill or possession. So you you picture how your life would be without a certain thing. And it's only, as he says, it's only a flickering visualization. You don't dive into a deep abyss of longing for something that is gone. You just imagine for a split second that the thing is not there, whether it's your spouse or your job or a talent of yours. And that makes you grateful for having that thing. And another one is one he calls the last time meditation. So when you're experiencing something, you are also mindful that there will be a last time. There'll be a last time that you play your favorite song or walk in your favorite location. And that makes you grateful again that you're experiencing this thing. And I found this very interesting overlap here with the kind of the Instagram influencer hashtag gratitude, which went around as a meme a couple of years ago, and it was pretty incessant. But this kind of is like practicing hashtag gratitude because you are, you're just being mindful of experiences that you're having that you might not otherwise have. And rather than just taking things for granted and, and just kind of blindly living through the events of your life, you're mindful and grateful for the things that you're undertaking at each moment. And then the last example from Stoic Meditation, which I've discussed, is this perspective retrospection, where you try to achieve nostalgia for the present moment, where you kind of look at your life in hindsight rather than in foresight. And I do find this really liberating when I'm anxious. And I actually had been doing this for a while before I realized that it was actually linked to stoicism, that when I'm anxious about something, I look back on my life from some point one or 200 years in the future. And then the worry itself seems amazingly irrelevant. On one view, it's sad because everything of meaning in my life will have been gone at that point, like 200 years into the future. But I think when you're anxious, you just want a release from that worry. The worry gets erased because if you fast forward 200 years, 
nothing matters really anymore. And this is actually part of my wider view that nihilism can be quite comforting. And I've talked about my optimistic nihilism in previous episodes, mostly episodes 8 and 13. And I was interested to see how this ties into the Stoic idea of perspective retrospection, that you can see the meaningful things in your life effaced, and that can liberate you from any kind of present anxieties. Yeah, I would tie it back to, you, you mentioned the gratitude part, but in another, another aspect of it is the memento mori, which is one of the key sayings, which means remember death. And this goes back to when, when you understand that life could go away at this very moment, that kind of gives you like you need to take take advantage of everything. You need to be grateful for 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 the time we we have here on the planet. And with a memento mori, there one of the more modern Stoic philosophers is Ryan Holiday, and he runs the Instagram page uh, Daily Stoic, which has around a million or a little bit more followers. Uh, on Instagram Uh, and he talks a lot about he actually sells these uh, coins that is like a token that says memento mori and these are it is it is um, I know Tim Ferriss have a coin that he has posted on his uh, Instagram and I actually bought one of the coins myself as well Mm -hmm. it says memento mori and I always have it in my wallet as a reminder of uh, to take to take advantage of like to yeah to be grateful for uh, for every day and yeah I, I would tie it down into the to the memento mori which goes hand in hand with with gratitude because you know when you remember death then everything else is like like a small small thing and it makes it easier to be grateful yeah I like that a lot it's all about reframing these things. And one nugget we can definitely draw from Stoicism is the question about the meaning of life. Because I think this is perhaps the overriding argument that Stoics are making, that we should live our lives in a certain way. So I think when I was reading texts by William Irvine, I think his book, A Guide to the Good Life, The Art of Stoic Joy, is excellent. He he really opened my eyes to the way that I was living my life, not that I'm going to change it radically or anything, but he kind of just characterized it in a way that seemed quite fitting. So he says that we have several choices as to how we live our lives. So a very base, primitive way might be called unenlightened hedonism, and then we're just seeking short-term gratifications. But the way that people in the 21st century actually live their lives mostly is by this kind of enlightened hedonism, as he calls it. So we're still seeking pleasure, but we're seeking it in a more thoughtful way and we're we're being quite quite strategic. We're developing strategies for maximizing our pleasure across our whole lifetime. So it's kind of this hedonism on a grand scale because it still comes down to pleasure at the end of the day. And it's actually the Stoics that are challenging this idea of hedonism. They don't believe in just chasing goals or desires or pleasure. They have a different ideal, which is tranquility. And and this is the ideal of eliminating negative emotions. So through all of these 
you know, mindful practices like negative visualization or, you know, memento mori and all of these practices, this is a way of achieving tranquility. So it's not about chasing desires in a hedonistic way. It's about uh, pursuing a different ideal, the ideal of tranquility. So I thought this was very thought provoking that the Stoics can really challenge the way that people are living their lives in the the 21st century. We can really start to question how much we want to be pursuing just pleasure, whether it is, you know, pleasure across our whole lifetime, whether it's, and very, very haughty sources of pleasure, like relationships with our family and successes in our careers and very long-term pleasures. The Stoics would like to challenge that and to say, well, perhaps we should be pursuing a different ideal altogether. And that's the ideal of tranquility. Yeah, it's, um, it, I think it's a fine balance there because that, that was maybe a little bit, you can see that as a, the mix of the two. Because when you're chasing pleasures, let's say the short-term pleasures, those are usually the things that will hold you away from the bigger goals. Let's say, for example, the uh, going out and uh, drinking alcohol and doing drugs or whatever you want to do. Those are usually the things that are holding you back from the bigger goals that you actually want to achieve. So you're kind of like limiting your upside by chasing the short-term pleasure. And the short-term pleasure often brings quite a lot of downside as well. So it's usually like a, like a little bit of a roller coaster life. And the roller coaster life, I see it a little bit as it's, it's going up, but then it's going down, and then it's going up, and then it's going down. And that usually, the, the crash to, to come back usually takes more effort than it takes to be live like a more, yeah, like a more tranquil, a little bit, like a little bit up, a little bit down. Yeah, the I think that the stoic way in, in my worldview is at least to, to, yeah, to still enjoy life and enjoy the journey because that's, that's what it is. But limiting the, especially the, the extreme short-term thinking highs that usually comes with the long-term long-term like not achieving what you want and by doing so that uh, helps you in the in the more long long term to achieve what you're looking for Mm -hmm. of course it's impossible to to live the stoic life to the extreme but it is about yeah finding that balance between seeking pleasure or seeking tranquility so detaching ourselves from emotions of disappointment or wanting of future goals. And I think this did strike me, this question of when we should accept, accept the world as it is, accept our life as it is, which is kind of the stoic way, versus when we should resist and when we should seek improvement and seek goals and seek pleasures. So I read this kind of amusing piece a year or so ago, and it was more directed at mindfulness, but it was saying that mindfulness can be a tool for oppression, that Mindfulness just says, accept it and be happy. You know, the fact that you have no food and no political freedom and no material wealth, like just that is your life, accept it and you can be mindful in the present. And I think it was a kind of a Marxist piece about how people shouldn't be passive, that we should resist and demand more if we're being politically oppressed. So it was interesting to see how how far mindfulness and stoicism and stoic tranquility should go in accepting and being grateful and not clamoring or desiring more 
but I know I think it's fair to say that the Stoics did see both coexisting, that we can both be grateful for our current state and we can seek to improve it. But I think that's also a nice thing to reflect upon, you know, the balance between being grateful and also seeking improvements in our life. Yeah, and and when uh, when you start analyzing, let's say when you start analyzing, like let's say your current situation, then quite often you will realize that uh, it's quite a lot of things that you might blame on, like our external forces that could be within your control, and this is like back to the one of the key the key things, which is to f- understanding the difference between what is within your control, what is outside of your control. Mm-hmm. When you understand the difference there, then you can uh, leave more of the ad, like the, the, the things that are without your control and then uh, dig into and work on the things that are within your control. Mm-hmm. And let's wrap up with some reflections on the applications of philosophy. I want to kind of take a broad lens of how philosophy can touch on people's lives. And I would think about it in two ways. So there are both philosophical skills. So we get tools and skills and practices by applying philosophy. And we also have kind of philosophical solutions. So we can actually extract contentful solutions from problems that we encounter. And these might be small or big. On the philosophical skill side, you know, we've talked about mindfulness meditation, and I think that's that's one application of Stoic ideas. And more generally, I've talked in the first episode of this podcast about the tools of philosophical analysis, whether it's, you know, knitting together your beliefs to form a consistent worldview, or whether it's drawing upon empirical evidence to update a philosophical position, or whether it's looking at a method, looking at the structure of an argument and determining whether it's salient. All of these, I think, are philosophical skills that are useful in our lives. And they're useful for, you know, evaluating, for thinking about things that we encounter, whether the concrete or the abstract. Then secondly, I think we also have philosophical solutions to problems. And these might be problems about, you know, animal rights and vegetarianism, how we should value the life of a pig. Or there could be questions about the meaning of life, which Stoicism, of course, deals with. Or these could be slightly more long-term questions about how we think about death or time or the nature of reality. So, of course, if we're talking about daily life, you might ask how relevant are these things to our daily, daily life? And I think it's more, again, about taking the long-term view that, of course, a robust view of meaning, the meaning of life, or a robust view of time or death, yes, they're relevant to daily life. They're not relevant in the short-term sense of short-term gratification, but like mindfulness, I think it's rewarding when we cultivate these robust positions and carry them with us through our lives, you know, updating them when we need to. So I'm still toying with this question of how relevant is it for daily life? And I think it's irrelevant in the sense of not providing any short-term gratification, but it's highly relevant in the sense of guiding our daily life, whether it's, you know, our, our view of events and our view of entities and people that we encounter so anyway that was my takeaway from this conversation and the conversations we've had in preparation off the mic that we we kind of have philosophical skills that we we bring to bear on our lives 
and we also have philosophical solutions to problems that we encounter. Yeah, and um, the daily things, I think another thing that could be added here is the discipline. Uh, it's key to, to be disciplined about whatever you want to achieve. And maybe it's, let's say, for example, some quotes that really sticks to you. Maybe that is something that you want to, let's say, imprint a little bit into your, to your belief system. And I remember myself, I did for quite some time have it as, like I said, as a daily reminder on my calendar, a, a specific quote. And then like you, you can kind of like imprint like ideas and quotes into into your daily life to help you with uh, with things that you might find otherwise troubling. Like, for example, letting go of things that is not within your control, meditation and so on. And, and like, I know all these apps are quite good when it comes to making it a daily habit because working on it daily is uh, one of the keys, I would say, to, to, to making it like actually working because just using or reading about philosophy at one time like reading a book or an article is one thing but then actually practicing and and another quote to to to, to end it here is mm-hmm. don't talk about your philosophy embody it mm-hmm. uh, from seneca and yeah and i think that's yeah, one of the one of the keys to, to not so much to talk about it and more to to act on it yeah i like that i think my philosophy can be quite abstract at times so i was glad to get a chance to talk to you because you're really doing the on the ground work uh, on instagram with the masses and i did indeed hear more about how you can bring philosophy to daily life and make it relevant to the events and the people and the situations that we encounter So, Tim, thanks so much for your time and I wish you all the best with your business ventures in the future. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Extrapolator is produced and edited by me, Jeff Allen. There's no team behind the podcast. It's just me. And I really appreciate the ongoing support from listeners. It's been wonderful to see the listenership steadily growing and to connect with some of you on social media. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and please take 30 seconds to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps the podcast to grow. You can also follow me on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram, at ExtrapolatorPod. The artwork for Extrapolator was created by Hugh Allen. The music was written and recorded by me, and it's available on Spotify, Deezer, Apple Music, and all major directories. Just search for Extrapolator, original podcast soundtrack. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time. Thank you.